Hello everyone and welcome to the first episode of DutchCast, the podcast about ev- anything and everything collegiate. I'm your host Larkin McKay and in today's episode we, will ha- we have with us Ms. Vogt. As most of you know, Ms. Vogt is the upper school learning specialist here at Collegiate and I have her with me here today to talk a little bit more about that. Uh, so just to start off this interview, Ms. Vogt, why don't you give us a little introduction and personal background. Okay, well Larkin, thanks for inviting me. I'm really excited to be part of the podcast. Um, I am, as you said, I'm Miss Vote, I'm Alice Vote, and I've been at Collegiate for many years. Uh, I've kind of lost track. I think it's probably around 10 or 11. Um, and I'm an upper school learning specialist, which means that I have kind of the pleasure of working with students in 9th through 12th grades. Um, what else do you, anything else you want to know? Um, yeah, I guess, uh, how do you get to school every day? I, so I take the subway from Brooklyn, um, and I have many, many possible subway lines, but I typically take the B or the Q train. Um, so I guess what exactly do you do every day? Uh, what does your average day look like there? Okay, good question. Uh, I would say my average day is a combination of planned meetings with students and also lots of spontaneous meetings. Um, and I also do meet with teachers, um, but primarily I'm working with students and that work looks different depending on what a student needs. Sometimes I have kind of consistent meetings with a student based on um, what their what their need and interest is, and sometimes I'll just meet with a student once um, in a year to discuss a particular issue. Um, and uh, I have, as you know, I have a really beautiful, somewhat messy uh, office in the library, which is really nice because it's a central hub and everyone comes and goes. Um, so, uh, where did you, like, what degree do you need, or, uh, like, what education do you need to be an upper school learning specialist? Well, that is a really good question, because it's one of those things, like, where, you know, unlike being sort of, like, you know, a surgeon or a lawyer, there's not one particular path that, um, someone can take. I have, um, my undergraduate degree is nothing to do with learning, um, but I have a, um, master's degree in cognitive psychology, and that's all about kind of, like, the study of learning. Um, yeah, so unfortunately there's some stigma around asking for academic help and people sometimes feel embarrassed or ashamed to admit that they could use uh, some extra help with their study habits or test-taking skills. So like, what steps do you think should be taken here at Collegiate to get rid of this stigma? You know, that is such a good question because um, there is stigma and it's obviously not helpful. Um, I do feel like, and I would love to know what you think and what other people think, I do feel like the stigma has gotten a little bit, has lessened in the, in the last yeah. couple of years. Do you feel that way as well? Yeah, I think um, people now at least are, uh, compared to a couple of years ago, are more like open about admitting that they need academic help or like going to get help. Yeah, I think so. And I, that's been like such a lovely sea change. And I'm convinced that like somehow COVID has something to do with it, but I haven't quite kind of figured it out. Um, maybe it's because during like during those difficult years of COVID, like we all had to ask each other for help all the time and maybe it just made asking for help more um, more acceptable. Um, so I'm hoping that we can kind of continue to build upon that shift in the culture um, that we're that we're both experiencing. Um, I think that, you know, it's unfortunately like many of us have a tendency when we're stressed out or worried or something isn't going well, many of us have, have a tendency to sort of like worry alone. Um, and so I think when we think about like 
additional steps we can take to reduce stigma um, and the culture of stigma, I think that students can actually extend tremendous like support and help to one another. Um, and I see that all the time. I see you know students working with one another. We actually have um, a number of older students of juniors this year who actually are um, supporting um, some ninth and tenth grade students um, in various subjects, and that's something that I would really love to build upon. That whole idea of peer tutoring, like the notion that you are, you know, that a student can help another student formally, and it may be that your ninth grade year you benefit from helping someone in a particular from receiving help rather in a particular class, and then when you're a junior, you're in a position to kind of give back and help, right? Um, I also think that you know there's always been a culture here of students meeting with teachers. You see that you walk down any hallway on any given day and you see students meeting right um, with teachers. And I think that um, that is something that also kind of just amplifies the expectation that any one of us at any time can benefit from receiving additional help. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Um, do you think there? Do you think that? Like eliminating the stigma and uh, like causing people to be more open to um, asking for help. Do you think that's a thing that comes from the student body, or do you think the school itself should do something to like address uh, that problem? Well, I think it's you know I think it's a, a combination of things. One is I think we have this growing recognition. I don't know if you've heard the term um, neurodiversity, but you know we we have such a growing appreciation for um, uh, the range of like what it is to be a learner, right? I think that, um, you know, there used to be a very narrow idea of what it meant to be academically successful, of what it meant to be smart, right? Um, and so with this growing kind of understanding of neuroscience, understanding of how the brain works, um, there's greater appreciation for the fact that like in our midst, we have so many intelligent, amazing students who all have slightly different ways of approaching work and of learning. Um, so I think that over time helps to reduce the stigma. Um, I think that students um, have a lot to do with it, as I mentioned earlier, and I think that um, each student, I would love to see each student take on sort of the responsibility of being a good citizen in the classroom and when they're working with their peers and making sure that there's not like that there's not any derision to a student, you know, towards someone who needs extra time to figure something out, um, or, you know, uh, has a different way of expressing themselves, right? I mean, you're in the classroom all day long. You know sometimes if you're in a classroom where there's sort of that tension because students aren't kind to someone who's sort of learning a little bit differently. Um, and then in terms of the administration and teachers, I think that teachers and administration can always kind of help set the tone. You know, if you have a teacher who really um, kind of acknowledges the diversity of learning in the classroom um, and can kind of point out the various strengths that each student brings and can normalize struggle, right? I think that that helps to create an atmosphere where everyone feels comfortable learning. Yeah, um, I, I think there's also a little bit of a, the idea of like faster is better, like completing a task or solving a problem faster means that the person understands it more or is a better learner than someone else. But I think, yeah, everyone just learns differently. And uh, while speed can be important in like test taking, it's also, it doesn't like reflect 
your intelligence or your ability right. to understand anything. There's not a correlation between speed and intelligence. And in fact, like, do you remember being, I don't know, like second grade, third grade, first grade, whatever it is, where like, you know, the kid who's the fastest runner in the class has the most status, right? And then it's also like, when you're little, what's your definition of whether or not someone's a good reader? Yeah. It's all the about speed. the speed at yeah. which they read. We're like, hello, you're a junior. You know very much that like, you know, the depth at which you read something is really the critical indicate, you know, indicator of how well you're going to understand and process it. And that has nothing to do with speed. In fact, we usually have to slow down <laughs> in order to learn deeply. Yeah, I think that's a, that's an interesting uh, perspective. I, I agree with that. Um, what are some universal tips for everyone uh, regarding study habits or test taking? Like, is it is there like a common issue among students that come to you? or like a, at least a most common issue, or is it sort of a case-by-case -case basis? Well, I think, so, right, just if we talk in terms of generalities, I think that one of the troubles that dogs most students or students hear when they're struggling is, um, you know, feeling overwhelmed by the amount of work one has to do, and often students have very kind of busy extracurricular schedules as well, right? Um, and it's very easy to fall behind with work, right? And so I think when a student falls out of the habit of doing the daily work in all their classes, it's really tricky, right? You end up playing triage. We've all done it, right? So you focus on the thing that's most pressing and everything else, you know, you leave until later and it just creates a really vicious cycle. Um, and of course, like, why do, you know, why is it so difficult to do the daily work sometimes? Because you're overwhelmed, because you have too much to do, also because we all struggle with procrastination, to be human is to procrastinate, right? Um, and so when you think about sort of like, so what are strategies that can be helpful um, uh, with this? I would say, I mean, there, there are lots of things. You could probably rattle off more than I can. Um, but certainly, um, figuring out ways to kind of manage procrastination um, and what works for you as a ninth grader, what works for someone as a ninth grader is maybe the same or different than what works for someone as a senior. Um, but finding, like really thinking about where is it that you can do your best work, um, both in terms of school and also at home. I know lots of students will talk about the fact that, you know, it really actually can help them at home if they work in some, somewhat of a semi-common space so that they, it's more difficult to kind of go down the rabbit hole of procrastination. Um, we live in an incredibly distracting world and one of the things that distracts us is, uh, you know, our phones distract us and our laptops distract us. And you all are in a position where this laptop is both a tool and a toy, right? And that's really, really tricky. That was not, you know, that's not something that, uh, you know, your grandparents had to struggle with. Um, and so I would say in addition to kind of finding a, a productive place to work, really thinking about like how do you how do you manage your phone? And I, I think a lot of students and adults for that matter find it most useful to kind of plug your phone in somewhere, like have a place where you can get your phone away from you. Um, and some people find it helpful to use productivity apps on their um, on their laptops that don't allow them to access certain things while they're working or to just like close all their tabs. I'm sure, do you have any any things that you use that you find helpful? Yeah, I just try to uh, plug my phone in outside my room like right. when I'm working. Right, I mean, that's hugely helpful, right? Um, something else I think that can help with um, just kind of that notion of trying to stay current with the daily work and also reducing distraction is 
um, is a technique of setting yourself up to work for 25 minutes at a time and then taking like a five minute break. The, the, the formal name for that is a Pomodoro technique, right? But the idea is like you put away everything that distracts you and no matter how much you just don't feel like dealing with any work, you think like, I can do something for 25 minutes, right? And sort of psychologically that can be helpful. Um, and, you know, most of us overestimate how long we can actually pay attention for. And so working for 25 minutes often can kind of mesh with our attention span at the moment. And if you find yourself able to work for 25 minutes, you just keep going, right? Um, so, I mean, there's lots of, you know, I think those are, those are general strategies that are helpful for most people. I'm sure there's many more um, that I'm just not thinking of in the moment. Mm -hmm. um, so about academic competition, I know there's a little bit of a culture um, whether you participate in it is sort of up to you as a student, um, but do you think academic competition is uh, beneficial or harmful, or is it, again, like case by case to, um, to like helping students improve their study habits and work? You know, I think it's, I think it's a common, I think it's, it can be both really helpful and I think it also can be detrimental. I think that I mean, I've seen students really stretch themselves in really positive ways um, because they feel like they're part of a larger culture that really prizes deep, deep academic engagement, right? And I think that that's, that's a beautiful thing, and I think it can lead to really positive outcomes. Um, and I think, I think we would all agree that where it becomes detrimental is when a student is... Um, feels overwhelmed, feels like they don't have the support they need, and is measuring their self-worth. Um, they're comparing themselves to others and feeling like they're not as good if they're not doing as well academically. Um, and I also do think that, you know, what one of the things I noted when I first arrived at Collegiate was how there's so much, um, there's sort of a lack of privacy around grades here, you know, like you get a test back and immediately your friends will ask you, how did yeah. you do? And, you know, that's very intense, and that's not something that happens everywhere. And I think this is more a reflection of kind of my personality, but I would love to see students give one another more space around grades um, because um, I think that each one of us deserves to have sort of privacy around grades, and I also think that grades really don't tell the whole story of anyone, and they don't certainly don't tell the whole story of a student and um, and their accomplishments, right? I mean, I don't know, what do you think about that? I mean, do you? Yeah, I, um, I think the reason that people, like you said, ask for, hey, what grade did you get um, right after the test is to sort of get uh, like a metric to compare themselves with how well they did compared to their class. So rather than oh, I got an 85, but everyone got a 75, so I actually did the best in the class, so I should feel good. It's sort of how how you feel about your grade depends on how other people did. And if it's not curved, if everyone did worse than you, you sort of feel, you go home to your parents and you're like, oh, I, I got an 85, but everyone else got a 75, so I'm actually the best in the class, and it should have been curved. But I think, I think, um, yeah, I think when you're the person that got the 75, you don't want to be asked, but when you're the person that got a good grade, you don't mind sharing it, and right. you're, 
you're you're not necessarily thinking that oh I'm superior to this person because I did better, but it does like I guess innate like human competition like I it feels good to like I guess beat someone at something even if it's not like an actual reflection of your understanding of the topic or whatever. It's just uh, it's like a common metric to compare what grade you got to someone else because everyone gets a grade, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just um, I think it's to gauge like how well you did compared to the class and that's how you end up feeling regardless of the actual number right it's um, interesting yeah um so um what do you think about about finals a lot of a lot of schools in new york have sort of gotten rid of, rid of the final system or just have one final in the spring rather than uh, collegiate which has one at the end of the first and second term um do you think it's uh like yeah, what's what's your opinion on the finals? Do you think it's good or bad? Well, that is a that is a great question, and I I, I can't I'm not going to give you a straightforward answer. I think that I've seen over the years actually that we've had quite an adjustment to finals. Not I mean we still have the finals period, but there are more classes that are opting to do a final one semester and a project or paper this you know the other semester. That hasn't been the case uh, so much with or at all with kind of the math and maybe not as much with with some of the sciences, but not all the sciences. But certainly we've seen, right, like in, in, in history and English, um, and there's some variation in languages. I think that, um, and some students absolutely love finals period because they feel like there's just, there's so much more kind of freedom in how you can construct your day. And, um, and then some students find it incredibly stressful or overwhelming to think about how to use all that unstructured time to get ready. So there are, you know, I think there can be absolute benefits to finals for um, many classes where kind of cumulative information is really important. It can give you a second time to, you know, another opportunity to learn the information and to kind of better encode it and master it. Um, But I think there's, I think there's ongoing conversation among faculty administrators about you know, what we should do going forward with finals. And I don't think we've, as far as I know, we haven't come to any decision, but I think there's room for um, lots of conversation and I wouldn't be surprised if we have some changes. I also think there's a, it's, I know teachers often look, you know, look at the finals period and they think, wow, all of those days, we, you know, we kind of quote unquote lose those days to finals and we could be using them for projects and more learning, right? So that's something to consider as well. Yeah, so uh, the last question about, like, this topic I have is um, what is your opinion on studying with music? I I know a lot of people say, like, classical music helps them focus, uh, but, like, you shouldn't listen to music with lyrics while you're studying, or maybe you can listen to lyrics while you're doing math but not reading because you're, like, hearing words and reading words. Uh, Is there, like, any evidence that proves that uh, music is helpful or detrimental to studying? So I think, you know... I think the research, and the, you know, I, I actually was. Um, I believe this is still the most current research. Is that there's really there's there, um, there's no definitive answer to that. That listening to music can be helpful. That it seems like listening to music without lyrics is less distracting and more helpful. Um, music also can really elevate mood, which is, as we all know, like mood is, is important and influences how we study. Um, so I think it is, it's really, it's really case by case. What I would, en- what I encourage 
what I encourage any one of us to do is to experiment, right? And if you're someone that is wedded to always listening to music while you work, maybe, you know, try try to, to do an assignment without music. I think also people, as you're suggesting, people find that they can do, you know, they can do their math homework with music, but they can't write their English paper with music, right? So you have to be tuned in um, to yourself and to what your needs are. Um, okay, so to end this episode, we're going to do uh, like a little bit of a get-to-know-you speed question round. Okay. So... Um, First, if you had to pick, what is your favorite movie? So what is my favorite movie? Um, I'm not going to pick anything that I've seen recently because if I think about like what if I think about what I've seen recently, it's nothing nothing that, that I particularly liked. I would like I don't know if you've ever seen it's actually it's a documentary. It's uh, on Muhammad Ali when we were kings. Um, and it's you know I highly recommend it. It's it's a it's a beautiful. I mean Muhammad Ali is just like watching him I'm not even talking about him sort of boxing because that's not but like listening to him speak um, and the soundtrack is also amazing um, and it's a heavyweight championship between him and George Foreman and um, it's I think it came out like in the mid 90s um, it's worth watching yeah um, what genre of music do you like most or do you listen to the most so I I really like uh, music with, I really like music that kind of tells, like, tells stories, um, so I'm, uh, I, I have to admit that I like a lot of folk music, um, and I most recently have been listening to a lot of Joni Mitchell. Have you ever heard of Joni Mitchell? Just see, right, I'm dating myself, but she actually just won the, um, Gershwin Prize, uh, which is a huge accomplishment, and it's, um, she's an amazing kind of composer and songwriter. She's also a painter, and she had uh, a brain aneurysm. She suffered from a brain aneurysm, I think, about eight years ago, and she's had this amazing recovery. So I love her songs. Um, I recommend them to anyone in the collegiate community, and if anyone wants to come into my office, I can play some for you. Um, so this is uh, kind of a funny question. When you run out of toothpaste, do you squeeze or roll the tube to get the last... Well, this is a good question because this is like a point of contention in my family because I I live with people who carefully roll and I just squeeze. I uh, I squeeze at the middle. I don't like squeeze yeah. from the bottom up, but I know there's like like you use a credit card or you roll. There's a whole um, bunch of things. I think Larkin, we have that in common. Squeeze yeah. from the middle and maybe don't use all the toothpaste. Yeah. Um, what is your go-to comfort food meal? Like, what do you? Yeah. So. Um, well, really, honestly, anything that someone else makes for me is a is a big one. But I love I love um, popcorn with butter. Yeah, yeah. Um, like anything on the popcorn or just butter? So like butter. Have you ever done nutritional yeast on popcorn? No. I recommend it. It's very good. And sometimes, sometimes some tamari. You know, delicious. Or, um, what is the favorite place, uh, what's your favorite place that you've traveled to, country or state, city, wherever it's been? Um, so I have lots of favorite places, and I think really my favorite places, generally speaking, are kind of out in nature. And um, Mount Monadnock, which is in New Hampshire, um, it's located in this little town called Jaffrey. And there is, there's a really nice campground there where I've spent a lot of time. And across the street from the campground, there's a lake, and I have no idea what the name is. But I, I love just going to that lake and sitting on the edge and watching. Yeah. 
do you like to hike at all? Or I do like to hike. Yeah. I love to hike. Have you yeah. ever hiked in the uh, the Rockies? I go there during the summer oh. for uh, for camp to hike. That is beautiful. I actually never have. I most I would say I've done some hiking in um, in California and Oregon. There's a, a wonderful park in Oregon called the Three Sisters where I've done quite a bit of hiking. Have you do like the you wear the big pack on your back? Yeah, and you for hike in backpacking. Yeah. Okay, so I've yeah, it's beautiful and it's amazing, right? Yeah. It's like hard, but I always find it like really hard, especially in the beginning. But then you get into it, and yeah. then at the end, you you're like, like wow, yeah. yeah, you find a rhythm. Um, and I also just, it's interesting to kind of get so out of touch with what's going on in the world, right? Um, but I do love, I do love hiking, and primarily I've hiked on the East Coast with some West Coast hiking, yeah. Um, so lastly, uh, you're, you're at a dinner party, you have every board game available to you, you can have any board game, uh, which one are you pulling out to play? Okay, so I am probably playing... I think this counts as a board game. These are both two-person games. You ever play Mastermind and Othello? Uh, I haven't played Othello. Oh, it's good. Yeah. And then, of course, Scrabble. I mean, Scrabble's always good. And But the bana- Bananagrams, have you ever played Bananagrams? Is that the one with, like, the bag that's shaped like Exactly. And actually, there's a 10th grader who has a Bananagrams bag as, as his pencil case. But um, has a, you know, dual... dual dual purpose but it's it's really nice because you like unlike scrabble where you're playing off of other people bananagrams you just create your own and you're yeah um okay so that just about concludes this episode of dutch cast uh a big thank you to you for taking the time out of your day to come on the show um to the listeners thanks for listening to this episode uh, and i hope to see you all very soon